0: Thank you, brother. Glad to be back after a short hiatus last week. I was in Tijuana, Mexico, preaching at a, a Reform Baptist church. I was very encouraged to see that the Lord is doing a great work down there with Iglesia Bautista Reformada de verdad. So it was uh, a very blessed time. Okay, if you are able, please stand for the reading of God, uh, God's word. We are in chapter 15 we're going to read verses 14 through 16. Fourteen pieces. god's word with absolute authority reads as follows i myself am satisfied about you my brothers that you yourselves are full of goodness filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another but in some points i have written to you very boldly by way of reminder because of the grace given me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God, so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your faithfulness in giving us your word this morning, which speaks to us of the assurance we have to have as Christians. As well as to be reminded that as we grow in maturity, we ought to be bold in our faith, as the Apostle Paul was. May your Holy Spirit then teach us as we explore this passage in order to find personal application in each of our lives. Thank you for your grace in granting us these things, which we ask in the name of Jesus. Amen. May we see it? right. so I titled today's sermon assurance and boldness for God's glory. We'll see what we mean about having assurance as a church, assurance as individual believers, and how we see that Paul admits to be very bold in the way in which he has addressed the church there in Rome. And how all that is to be for the glory of God. So far, in the book of Romans, we have seen Paul do two main things in this letter in his diatribe first paul has been teaching doctrine essential christian teaching not only for salvation but also for sanctification primarily paul did that teaching of doctrine from chapter 1 to about chapter 11. the second thing that paul has been doing through the book of Romans thus far is exhorting his hearers to apply the theology that he has focused on from chapters 1 through 11 he's done that roughly in about chapters 12 through the middle 15 which we picked up today okay so teaching theology and then applying theology so far has been the overall lens of what Paul has been doing Now, in this, we have our very first practical application for us. Which it is? It is of little value to have knowledge of the Word of God without applying it. This is exactly the pattern offered of Scripture. The warning that we should not only know God's Word, not only that we should listen to God's Word, but also to be doers of the Word and not hearers only we see that specific reminder in the book of james chapter 1 verse 22 it's just something that should come to our mind when we think about hearing and doing okay similarities it applies also to praying do we pray for god's blessing absolutely but we also are faithful to do whatever is in front of us if we are praying for provision, we pray and then we go look for a job we don't just pray And put our feet up saying, well, the Lord shall provide. No, we pray and we do. That is the responsibility of the Christian in the expectation that God will be faithful to answer our prayers. So then today we will be noting that we've come to the point in the book of Romans in which while there's still a lot of wisdom and a lot of application to be extracted from these passages, the structure of the letter... Now, slightly turns. It's not direct doctrine per se. It's not direct exhortation, though there is, and we'll see that. But Paul is now putting emphasis to bring encouragement to the saints at Rome. And Paul is doing this because he acknowledges he wants to encourage them because there could be an impression that Paul has just been putting them on blast this whole time. Exhorting them, rebuking them, teaching them. Keep in mind, Paul has taught not only the total depravity of mankind, but specifically focusing on Jews and Gentiles. Warning them not to think higher of, each, of, of themselves and the other group. Warning them not to form little cliques because they think that one is more righteous than the other. But no, he says, some of you are weaker faith, some of you are stronger faith. Some of you are from a pagan, Gentile background. Some of you were raised as uh, as people of, of the law, that is, the Jews. And Paul says, if there is something that is a common denominator among those two groups is that you are wicked sinners in need of God's grace. In that theme, Paul has been very, very bold to them. Now, Paul terms in order to encourage and commend the church at rome for being virtuous this is important because if it weren't so paul would make it clear that they need to drastically correct path on something that they've gone astray that is not the case for the saints there at the church of rome we know this because paul has done such Exhortation is such rebuking when a church is in fact on the wrong path And this is not the exhortation that he gave The people at the church of Rome let us be reminded how Paul did do that When writing to the relations right after the introduction He said the following Galatians 1 verses 6 and 7 He says I am astonished that you are so quickly discerning him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. We see there then that Paul does not hold back to let Christians know when they are for sure off of the wrong path that is a gospel essential. It was not the case for the local church at Rome. And we will see that in some detail today. So then what is today's main point that we're gonna take away as Paul shifts his emphasis from teaching deep doctrine and deep application to now a slightly different emphasis is this. Paul tells them the reason why he has been so direct and he encourages them that they are doing well as a church overall. So in a sense, Paul is on the church that he views them as saints who are persevering in their faith. It's a way of bringing encouragement to them so that they, can, they may keep growing. Furthermore, Paul will also take time to provide some rationale of under which authority is he teaching them with such boldness. And now... Under which authority is he now commending them, telling them that they do have virtues? Under what authority does Paul do that? So then, in learning today about the assurance that a local church has and the boldness by which they are instructed, that should turn into them being encouraged and also have boldness themselves. We will analyze this In the following three headers. First, we're going to see Paul's commendation, that is, the approval. Paul is vouching for the church of Rome, that they are, in fact, a healthy church. That's the assurance part. Next, we're going to see that Paul gives them a reason for his bold approach. That's boldness. And thirdly, we're going to see what does Paul Cite as his qualifications for what he is doing in writing that letter, and does all vouching for them mean anything, or is it just an empty endorsement? As we see that, we see that all that is done for the glory of Christ, and hence the title of the sermon, right? Which is, having assurance, having boldness for the glory of God. So, let us take a look at the first header this is paul vouching commending mentioning some virtues of the church of rome that's verse 14 he says i myself am satisfied about you my brothers that you yourselves are full of goodness filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another this is where the local church is encouraged knowing that paul the apostle is acknowledging that the church as a whole is a healthy church jews and gentiles have come together to worship christ to live the life of a community of christians together to do life together as people of god who come from very different backgrounds now notice they do not need a diversity council or all such nonsense that we see today about ensuring that there's equity which is actually backfires itself, but that's a different topic. Rather, they are unified by the one who bought them with his blood. Period. That's it. And when people are united because they are called by Christ to salvation, we have the assurance that it will be people from all nations, from all tongues. That is the unity which makes the church of Rome. Very different backgrounds there. And Paul said that he is satisfied about them. The word there means that he is positively persuaded, given what he knows about them, he is convinced that there is truthfulness, validity of them as a church. We see that also because Paul refers to them as brothers. He recognizes them as brothers in the Lord, as Christians. Now imagine the implications. Paul being inspired by the Holy Spirit, personally selected by Jesus himself, sending a letter to this church with some hard teachings, right? Calvinist exhortations to live in obedience, correcting their lives so that they may not go straight. Imagine the implications of Paul saying, okay, that said, I'm persuaded that you guys are on the right path. Like, you guys are persevering. That's great. My brothers and sisters, may God grant us that type of assurance to us. That perhaps in our own day, someone who is commended as a wise and true believer, leader, pastor, would look at Acts Reformed Church and say, you guys are doing well. The Lord is doing a great work in this church. It is not because we're going to value the input of men, but think about it. Let's say that one of the theologians that is alive today that we respect were to come and check out our church, and he says, hey, sisters, you guys are doing well. The Lord is working in your church. Would that not be an encouragement to us? Absolutely. Absolutely. When other church saints can vouch for what the church, the local church, is doing, that is a very big blessing. And by God's grace, I think we've had some of that in our church. So let that be an encouragement to all of us. Now, Paul here mentions three virtues that the church of Rome has. First, he says that they are full of goodness. Right? Now, again, let's take this into context. This does not mean that all the Bible says that there is no one good, no, not one. We're not talking about the sense of being perfectly morally righteous on our own merits before God. We fall short. That is how this is referring to. This is referring to the overall character of the church. Is there in fact fruit of the spirit being shown in the life of the church? And Paul says, this church is full of goodness he says then that they are also filled with all knowledge this is the essential knowledge of the gospel not the kind of knowledge that puffs up right he has talked about that in the letter but rather knowledge that has the purpose of edifying each other of making others grow as they commune together as brothers and sisters, as we live our Christian life together, there should be knowledge of the Word of God, knowledge of Scripture, wisdom of Scripture that is shared, which is His third virtue. That goodness and knowledge in the lives of those in the church is used for instructing one another. This is very important. They are full of goodness, they have knowledge, and that is to be used to instruct one another. The meaning there is to be able to persuade, to be able to convince one another in the sense that someone may be heading the wrong path and you're able to instruct that person to redirect, to come back to the right path. This is a kind of language and concept where biblical counsel comes from the scripture has all that is needed for issues of morality for questions of right and wrong in order to lead us into all righteousness the bible is god's word and god knows the nature of man which is sinful therefore any counsel and all counsel that has to do with morality that does not align with the God, with the word of God, it is wicked counsel. It may put a band-aid on whatever the issue may be, but in the long run, if someone is offering you knowledge that is not according to God's word, will in the long run, specifically in eternity, be damning for you. God's word is what we need In order order for us to know what's right and wrong And be able to offer that knowledge And wisdom and counsel to each other Note this then That Paul says that They among themselves Are able to instruct one another This reminds us Of the maturity that the believer Should aim for So that not everything Within the church life Needs escalation What I mean by that well, given that we live in a fallen world and that we are sinners, take my grace, nevertheless, sinners, there will be, there has been, and perhaps right now there are times when we may need to address each other because of sin. We may need to ask a brother or sister for wisdom, for counsel. What should I do in this situation? Paul is saying, Brothers and sisters, you are growing in maturity. Some of you are mature. You should be able to offer each other counsel according to the word of God. Not everything is a fire drill. Not everything requires escalation. Now, are there times when that's required? Absolutely. Yes. But the aim of the Christian community should be that each of us are able to express and to impart wisdom from the word of God to each other. Not according to our feelings, not according to whatever the race of hands is right now in the world, No, According to God's word. The Christian should be equipped with sound knowledge of scripture and with a moral character of full, full of goodness that would be able to instruct a brother or sister. Keep that in mind. So then when we see this, that the church at Rome was commanded to be full of goodness, having all knowledge and being able to instruct one another. Those three virtues there, my brothers and sisters, how are we doing as a church in showing these qualities? Can we look around and say that, yes, you know, our church culture has goodness. We can show fruit. We do have knowledge. We do have biblical wisdom. and by God's grace, we are able to impart that in one another. To encourage each other to confess to one another to offer godly counsel to one another remember that each member of the church plays their part in order to function as the whole body so may we have that as a goal growing into maturity in order to follow this pattern having goodness morally good character having knowledge and wisdom from the Word of God in order to edify each other. May that be our goal as we grow, as we learn, as we listen to other godly counsel, so that we can also do that to one another. Let us be reminded, under what authority can we do this? That is, the scripture. The scripture is the ultimate standard for eating and all issues of morality. I put this scripture here again because it is crucial that we always remember this. 1 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. And what happens when we do that? That the men of God may be complete equipped. Ever good work. This basically sums up where can the Christian go to in order to have the wisdom? And is that wisdom gonna be enough? The Bible assures us over and over again, yes, it will, and we as a church should have a goal to be able to do that in our Christian community. This leads us to the second header. Paul gives a reason for being bold with the church of Rome in the diatribe that he has given them. Verse 15 reads as follows. But at some point I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder, because of the grace given me by God. Okay, so Paul says, yes, I have been very bold. I've been very daring in the language, in the way that I've approached the church. Now, what is boldness here? This speaks of having courage and not hesitating to stand up firmly in moral matters in the face of danger or in the face of negative consequences. Godly boldness, then, must be exercised with a spirit of humility, not a spirit of self-righteousness. Having godly boldness, can often mean that we will be rejected, ridiculed, scoffed at, or even persecuted for standing up for what is right. There are several examples that the scripture tells us, specifically in the book of Acts, of Paul showing a bold character. Let's take a quick look at some of those examples. In Acts 9.27, Barnabas is is testifying to the other apostles how paul had been very bold for the lord jesus at his conversion and how once he arrived to damascus instead of persecuting christians which that was his initial purpose he preached boldly in the name of jesus acts 13 46 we see how paul and barnabas spoke boldly to the jews telling them that since they reject the word of god they will now leave them there Shake the dust from their feet and go to the Gentiles. That is a very bold approach and statement. Acts fourteen verse three. Paul and Barnabas again they preached boldly at the synagogue in Iconium, and many were told converted. However, there was some controversy due to some who opposed the gospel. Yet Paul reminded them and remained there that he was going to speak boldly. While God granted Paul and Barnabas signs and miracles by the doing of their own hands. And then we see Paul's approach, in short, is noted when he was staying in Ephesus. Acts 19, verse 8. And he entered the synagogue and for three months spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. So, boldness, we see some characteristics here. Having humility, having courage, being persistent, showing grace, all while standing firmly on the truth with one end goal. What is the end goal? To persuade others of the truth of God's word. That they would turn to Christ in repentance for those who are not saved, or encourage believers to persevere in holiness. And turn in sin. And that is essentially what Paul is doing with the Romans, encouraging them to persevere in holiness and turn from sin. Now, a quick warning let us take note of what godly biblical boldness is not. In other words, simply speaking your mind because you are upset or because you want to make a point is not being godly and being bold. It's actually being foolish, being self-righteous. The attitude of well, you know me, I just going to tell like it is. That is not boldness. That is idiocy. And the Bible rebukes you for that. And rebukes me because I've done that. Proverbs 2911 says this a fool gives full vent to his spirit, but a wise man quietly, holds it back. It takes zero control to let it out. Zero control. But it takes exercising the fruit of the spirit, self-control, in order to hold back when you should. Now, you will note that the opposite is true. Someone who may claim to just tell it like it is and speak this and that, when they are confronted out in the world with a Diabolical idea, and they should speak up, they actually keep quiet. That's cowardice. That's when boldness should be expressed. Let's keep that in mind. Now, there are many similar warnings in scripture so that we don't confuse boldness with foolishness. Specifically, when being bold and sharing the gospel or in bringing an exhortation to a brother or sister. And hence becoming so righteous or just being a jerk. Let us take a look at Proverbs 19.20 and Proverbs 13.1. I think those are together, right? This is the context of a key principle in Scripture. Those who are able to receive bold godly counsel are blessed. Nineteen twenty, 20, verse 20, says this. Listen to advice and accept instruction that you may gain wisdom in the future. Proverbs thirty one: A wise son hears his father's instruction, but a scoffer does not listen to review. See that? As we consider this then, let us ask ourselves, are we bold or we should be bold in the godly way? Standing up for righteousness. Graciously, but yet firmly. Correcting someone. Are we bold? When we give godly counsel. Because there are times that a brother and sister comes to us. Or they're expressing to us the situation they're in. And we know what the biblical position is. But we hold back. Because they might be offended. That's cowardice, my brothers and sisters. Are we bold when we should be? And then secondly, considering the two Proverbs that we just read here, how do we receive, how do we receive feedback? Because one is given godly boldly, boldly uh, speaking God's word, but then also receiving a word of exhortation. Do we listen, or is it our first instinct to be defensive. It's been my observation, my brothers and sisters, that as we grow in maturity, if we are confronted with an exhortation from a brother or sister, as we grow in maturity, our initial response, our nature reaction, is not to defend ourselves. Rather, it is to say, hmm, maybe they have a point. Let, let me consider that." Let's, let's talk about it. How am I in this position? Is there room for us to grow? Is there room for us to correct path? And if the person giving us that godly bold, bold exhortation is doing it in righteousness, you bet there is room for us to take heed and listen to their instruction. Now, Paul gives two main reasons for his boldness to the church of Rome. First is to remind them of God's truths and application. Repetition is a key thing in scripture. Repetition, repetition. God knows that we are stiff-necked people, that we are prone to forget his word, that we are prone to ignore his commandments. Therefore, we must read, hear, learn, meditate on what God says, what God tells us in his word, so that we may not drift away because drifting away from the teachings of God is natural to our flesh. Whereas keeping what God says, staying on His path, actually takes effort. We are reminded in Hebrews 2, 1, the following. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest, there it is we drift away from it. There is a the concept there of repetition. And wherever you've heard it, but now we're going to hear it again and pay even more attention, because otherwise we will drift away. A similar reminder is in First John 2.21, it says this, I write to you, not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Again, the pattern here, that they're being taught something again. Okay? It is not because they don't know it, but it's because They do know it, that they're going to be reminded of the truth that God has for them. The second reason that Paul gives for being bold to them in the letter is because of the grace that was given to him as an apostle to the Gentiles. In other words, Paul had a divine command, literally from Jesus himself, to go and preach boldly to the Gentiles. And if he didn't do that, he would be in direct, like, you know I'm talking about, like, I need God to speak to me. Well, God did speak to him, literally. So he had no choice. He had a divine command. First Corinthians 9.16. This is from the LSB. Shout out to our LSB brothers out there. For if I proclaim the gospel, I have nothing to boast, for I am under compulsion. For woe is me if I do not proclaim the gospel. So, Paul says, I've been very bold. Yes, I acknowledge that. And I'll be very bold because you need to be reminded again and again and again. You have a natural tendency to forget, a natural tendency to disobey, and to fall into the old bad habits. And secondly, I'll be very bold to you because Jesus personally told me to do so. And if I don't do this, woe is me. But I'll be damned if I don't, basically. Now, note, although Paul was primarily an apostle to the Gentiles, he was also preaching to the Jewish folks. Okay? So it doesn't mean that he only preached to the Gentiles. No, he did And then, note this also, that prior to converting, prior to, to Jesus saving him, Paul had a zeal, a passion, a dedication in order to go and persecute and aid in the killing of Christians. Well, God used that same type of zealousness that Paul had, that same passion, but now shifted it to a godly purpose. Because if Paul had that zealousness and that desire, that drive to go and persecute Christians, God turned that In Paul's same type of personality, but now to use it for God's glory. So we see that that God uses the personality and traits of each person for the goodness of his kingdom. This speaks of the different gifts that each Christian has. You may be remembering that perhaps before you were saved, you were using those gifts and talents for ungodly purposes, as Paul did, right? He was a scholar. But then later, now as Christians, God uses those gifts and talents for his kingdom. All right, third header. We see that Paul here reminds us of the qualifications that he has for the service that he's doing for the kingdom of God. Verse 16 reads as follows. To be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles, in the priestly service of the gospel of God, so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit." So here, Paul reaffirms his qualifications as a true apostle. This goes back to his greeting in the first verse of the first chapter, Paul an Apostle of Jesus Christ. Because a fair question can be this, Paul. So you're coming and giving us this letter. is very direct, very bold. By what authority are you doing this this is a very important question now but specifically in the time of biblical times because anybody could come and have a teaching for you but the crucial question is according to who like under whose authority and well paul says i am an apostle of jesus christ personally chosen by him he says that he is a minister a minister to the Gentile. again didn't mean that Paul only preached to Gentiles. In fact, we read a verse there that he preached to Jewish folks, and then they rejected him and gave him Barnabas terms to Gentiles. But he was chosen, nevertheless, as an apostle to the Gentiles. One who is sent out. That's what an apostle means. One who is sent out. So in that sense, someone can say to be an apostle, right? Somebody who is sent out, perhaps specifically a missionary. However, take note again, whenever this comes up, I'm going to reiterate there is no such thing as modern-day Apostle. If you hear that as a some church there is Apostle so-and-so, that is a bad church, hands down. Okay. The qualifications for a Biblical Apostle cannot be met today. Personally being chosen by Jesus, number one, and secondly, physically being a witness of the resurrection. There's no way anyone can meet those qualifications today. Anyways, the second way you'll find out in these churches is that you'll want to get a hold of your checkbook real quick. So beware. So Paul reminds us, he's doing this under the true authority of being a true apostle. Acts 15 says this, But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is the chosen instrument, speaking of Paul, he's the chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and children of Israel. The reminder that Paul has a apostolic authority. Now he says that he's doing this as a priestly service of the gospel. In order for the Gentiles to be benefited. This is, he's acting as a priest to the Gentiles. That is, one who officiates sacred duties. That is, a priest. However, this is not being done in the manner of offering burnt offerings as they did in the Old Testament. That's not it. Rather, it's one who brings the gospel of God to the Gentiles and teaches them and gives them the type of exhortation that he has been given in the book of Romans. In the New Testament age, which we are now in, in the church age, in one sense, there is a priestly service of every believer. However, that priestly service of every believer is not like the priestly service of the Old Testament. First Peter chapter 2 talks about that. It's rather in this sense that we come and can be, in a sense, mediators of what God has for his people. In a sense, each father serves a priestly service for his home. He mediates for his family. That is the way in which someone can be executing a priestly service. Now, there's another sense in which we also need a priest, that is a high priest. And we are told in the New Testament that there is such high priest, and he is a unique high priest that intercedes for us before God the Father. That unique and perfect high priest is Jesus Christ himself. There is no other. Hebrews 4. Verses 14 and 16 Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. Let us then, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So then, we do not need a priest to intercede for us when it comes to mediating between, between us and God. We have one high priest who is only and uniquely qualified to do that. That is Jesus. Because of him, because of him mediating for us as a high priest, we are able to come boldly before God's throne of grace. Under no other under no other circumstance, can we do that except by the mediation of our great high priest, that is Christ. So then... The reason that Paul is ministering to the Gentiles, he says, is so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable and sanctified, that is, set apart by the Holy Spirit. That last portion there can have two main meanings. One of it is the possibility that Paul, in a sense, is a mediator in bringing the message to the Gentiles, and he presents all that work all those saved souls that because of the ministry of Paul have happened, he brings that to God as a sacrifice, and that is accepted by God as a sacrifice to the glory of God. Another possible meaning of that text is that because Paul's boldness and exhortations to the Gentiles, when the Gentiles Hear the message when the Gentiles believe the gospel and then they go to Christ for salvation. The Gentiles will then be able to be accepted by God when they bring their sacrifices of themselves, essentially to surrender to Christ. They will be accepted because of the message that Paul gave them. That will be their sacrifice offered to God and is accepted and sanctified by the Holy Spirit. All right, so what are some final thoughts and applications as we wrap up today? Well, first, my brothers and sisters, how are we doing as a church? Paul tells us that he vouched for the church of Rome, that they were being sanctified they were persevering. Are we persevering? Remember that each person plays a role in the body of Christ in the church. Are we using our gifts? Are we encouraging one another? Are we edifying one another? Or are we kind of just standing by and being lazy? How are we doing? Could it be said of us that we are full of goodness? That we we are exercising the knowledge that we know in order to counsel one another? Are we doing that? How are we doing as a church? The church is only as strong as its members, so how are we doing individually and as a church? Rest assured that each of us can take a quick inventory and realize that maybe there are areas in which I can better serve, I can better edify, I can better help. And as we think of that, let us take action, my brothers and sisters. Secondly, when we talk about boldness, is there a boldness meter, so to speak? And are we to compare ourselves to our neighbor to see if we are being more or less bold? Now, there could be a a Godly way of doing that, right? But we want to be just grabbing that boldness label and applying it to us and then go out there and be jerks. That's not what we mean. What we do mean is, are we being bold in sharing the gospel with truth and grace, especially in the face of sickness and death when somebody is in despair? Many times and I've been in many situations where someone either a friend or a family member comes to me in the face of severe sickness, even of approaching death. And they want me to pray so that they could get better, right? And I'm sure many of you perhaps be in the same position. My brothers and sisters, if there is ever a time to be bold about the gospel, is right there. It's right there. That person is in dire need. Should we pray for them to get better, for God to show them mercy? Yes, absolutely. But more importantly, they would be bold in sharing the gospel with them. How is our boldness here? When edifying and sharing godly wisdom with each other, don't be afraid to ask the hard questions. Especially when we have one-on-one conversations, brother, sister, how are you doing? It's rare when somebody says everything's going fine, that's actually true. Well, Most of the time it's not true. You have to ask the hard questions, you have to be bold. Perhaps if someone is living a lifestyle that does not reflect gospel principles, The scripture commands us to ask bold questions to that professing believers, especially if it's in our congregation. Brother, sister, do you understand what you're doing? Let's talk about it. How can I help you, serve you? Know that what you're doing is against scripture. Many times in our day, Christians don't do that because they're afraid that the person may be offended. And then, on the other hand, how how can we receive godly, bold counsel in our life? Are you easily offended if somebody comes to you and gives you an exhortation? I think I've said this before, but my brothers and sisters, if a brother or sister has not come to you ever in your Christian life and giving you a word of exhortation or an encouragement to correct path, are you even loved by them? Because you're not perfect I will tell you that I'm not perfect If there's never A word of boldness And firmness And gentleness In your life As a Christian Are you even Loved by those Around you? Let's take that Into account And then Our last application Let us remember Christ He is A high priest Jesus was bold his claims, his deeds, his preaching, and ultimately his death on the cross. He did not hold back. Jesus was humble. Jesus was accepted as the perfect sacrifice by God the Father for my sins, for your sins, for all of our failures. So if we have faith in Christ as our great mediator, great high priest, we have the assurance and we can be encouraged that we are accepted by God. By God's grace, the virtues that Paul mentions here of being full of goodness, of having knowledge, and of giving good, edifying counsel to one another, that could be applied to us, my brothers. We are assured by God, if we have faith in Christ, that we are too under that category. Kind of so may this bring us the assurance in our salvation that we are accepted in Christ and yet also give us the boldness to share the Word of God with others. As we do so, God will be glorified. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for allowing us to look at your scriptures today of a passage that brings us the reminder that in Christ we are full of goodness. In Christ, we do have knowledge and wisdom. And in Christ, indeed, we do edify and give godly, godly counsel to each other. Lord, and if we are outside of Christ, if you were reminded that we have bigger issues, for we are on our way to condemnation, so let us turn to Christ, whether it is for salvation, a total surrender to Jesus, or as Christians, for our sanctification, so that indeed the word of God may pierce us and we may correct path. Thank you Lord for this morning, may you be with each family, each uh, single person here, each child, that we may be inclined to know your scriptures and to apply your scriptures with the encouragement that we serve one high priest who has conquered death and sin for us. It is in his name, in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.